Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 214. You know, one of the most exciting times for any Royal Caribbean fan is embarkation day. Your cruise is finally here, but actually getting to your ship from the process of you leaving your hotel or house to get to that ship and every all the little steps in between, there's a lot that's involved. So this week, let's discuss what to expect from curbside at the pier to the magical moment when you step on board the ship and begin your cruise. Here we go. The first day of your Royal Caribbean cruise is a really fun moment in any cruise fan's vacation because it's when your vacation begins and largely after many months and months of counting and getting excited and packing and planning, your cruise is finally here and getting from curb to ship on embarkation day doesn't sound like a big deal right you're just you're getting to the port man how hard can that be how hard can that be and that's what we're here to talk about in this week's episode about going curb to ship there's a lot that's involved actually a lot has changed over the years and your curb to ship experience will also vary depending on the ship and port you're visiting uh if you're going on an oasis class ship at a port everglades the experience is Pretty different, I would say, than going, you know, curb ship at a Tampa or in Barcelona or in Australia. It, it can vary. So keep this in mind. But here's some generalizations to expect, essentially, when you're getting there. Before you even get to the curb, before you even get to the port, before you leave your house or hotel room, you need to be armed with certain things. Number one, you need to have your IDs, whether it's a passport, a birth certificate, you know, state-issued ID. However you're traveling, make sure you have it in hand. And if you're wanting my opinion, yes, you should absolutely use a passport. It is worth the money. I know it's a little bit more of an investment, but the benefits of it far outweigh the the cost savings. And the you know the reality is, it's it's just like trip. It's just like insurance in general, right? If you need it, boy, is it great when you have it. And if nothing else, it just simplifies things. Carrying a passport is a lot easier than carrying birth certificates around. They travel a lot simpler. You can put them in your pocket. People know exactly what they are. It's easy to flip them out. And there's, to me, it's just, it's worthwhile both before your cruise, on embarkation day, and also when you're in port. So in general, if you can, go that direction. So you're going to need your passport. You're also going to need your set sail pass. This is the document you should be getting from Royal Caribbean via the Royal Caribbean's website. Prior to your cruise, leading up to a couple days before, you're able to do online check-in. And online check-in allows you to enter in all your basic information. So that way, you, you have a literally pieces of paper to show both the port authorities and also Royal Caribbean, hey, this is my name, I'm on the sailing, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like having a boarding pass. Now, you don't need to have a uh, set sail pass with you. I mean, some, some people forget it. In fact, one time I was on a cruise, I believe it was Quantum of the Seas. I forgot it at home, printed it out at the hotel, and then also left it on the desk at the hotel so I arrived with no set sail pass. It's not the end of the world if you don't have it. It just makes your life a whole lot easier if you do have it because you just got to explain yourself a whole lot more if you don't. So definitely print that out, bring it with you so that way you've got that the, the set sail pass and your boarding documents. That's the most critical thing. Obviously, everything else is, there's other important things, but they're not critical must-haves. And when you arrive at the port, most ports I've been to, especially in the United States, there is a port guard at the entrance when you drive in, where the last of CIDs and set sail passes, the, 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 the process can vary a little bit. But essentially, when you're getting to past that point, the, the process starts to streamline a little bit. 
When you drive up to the terminal, essentially, at this point, you've got a couple options. Now, you may be in a couple different scenarios, right? Either you're driving your own vehicle, you're being driven in a taxi or you know Uber or some other, someone else is driving you, or I suppose you could be on a bus or something like that. But essentially, either you're driving yourself or someone's driving you. If you're driving yourself and you have your own vehicle, the best strategy, and this is all true of rental cars also, is, in my opinion, is to go drop off your stuff and all the people in your vehicle first. So go up to the terminal, say you're just dropping off, and drop off all the luggage, drop off your family, your kids, whoever else is with you. This is assuming, of course, you're not traveling solo, of course, because if you're doing it by yourself, you can't do this strategy. But <laughs> assuming that's not the case, drop everything off. So basically, all that's left is you or a driver and the car. At that point, then you leave your family and luggage say, okay, wait here, and I'll meet you back. Now, of course, when you're checking in with the luggage, you probably mentioned about the porter experience. When you arrive at the port, every port has porters. These are folks that are here to help you load up your luggage from your car to the, to the, uh, to the ship. And they do so. This is kind of like you know, if you go to the airport and you check in your luggage. Instead, you've got porters here whose job it is to take your luggage, load it onto the ship. Now, it's customary to tip the porters. How much you tip them? Really depends. I mean, I've heard the the figure I've always heard is like one to two dollars a bag. To me, it really comes down to how helpful they are. Like, if I get out of the car and the dude is already in the back of the car taking out the luggage, I don't have to lift a finger. He's going to get a few more dollars from me because that makes my life a whole lot easier. But if I'm the one taking the luggage out of the out of the trunk and I'm trying to flag one down and it's kind of like kind of process. Well, then maybe not so much. It varies quite a bit. In my opinion, I don't mind tipping somebody for the experience. I mean, it's them taking my luggage, ensuring that I'm starting my vacation off on the right foot and not having to, you know, uh, literally, you know, drag those things off and to where they need to be. And then, of course, they see it all the way to where it gets loaded onto the ship. So a couple dollars here or there, not a, not a terrible uh, cost. And it's part of the cruise experience, quite honestly, when you're using porters. And I love porters, both in the embarkation and disembarkation processes, it just it boils down to it makes my life easier. Simple as that. And I think that's a really big part of uh, something to, to understand. So, again, these people are here to help. Uh, it's pretty easy. Usually, it depends on what time you arrive, but usually they're standing around looking for people who need help and they'll jump right in. But you may need to look for somebody in case, especially if you arrive a little bit earlier. Sometimes the porters are more centered around disembarkation guests than embarkation guests. But, again, usually you pull up. You look around, you know, left or right, you're probably going to find one here or there. At the at the worst case, you put the luggage on the curb. Again, the people who are staying at, at the terminal or the people you're dropping off are going to be the ones who are going to stay there with the luggage. And then at that point, then you and the empty car are on your way. Now, of course, if you took an Uber or a taxi or a bus or something like that, this next step doesn't apply to you because you don't have to worry about this. But now you got to get rid of the car, right? you got to go put it somewhere. And if you're a rental car, well, this is pretty simple. You're going to drive the car to the rental car facility. Most ports have rental car facility. Fairly close to the port, a couple miles at the most. You need to check with your particular car rental company. Also, be aware of certain times and days they're open or not open. Great example is Galveston, Texas. Last I checked, the car rental companies are not open on Sundays. So that's kind of a problem if Liberty leaves on Sunday. So keep that in mind when you're planning these kinds of things. But regardless, you're either going to go drop your car off at a rental car facility to return it, or you're going to be parking your own car. If you're going to drop off the car at the rental car facility, this is why I the, the first part of the strategy is really important because you're dropping, you dropped all the stuff, you dropped all your family and friends off. So you're going back with an empty rental car. And the advantage is the, the rental car companies usually offer a shuttle back to the port. You should probably check on that to make sure they do offer that. But in, in my experience, almost they all do. Uh, and certainly, 
when you arrive there, you're going to find other guests who are doing the same thing. The thing is, a lot of people go to the rental car facility first because in most cases, outside of cruising, you go to the rental car facility when you're you know, wanting to return the car. And that means they've got not only them and all their family, but all their stuff. And while the rental car facilities have shuttles, they have limited luggage facilities to bring that stuff back. In my experience, they fill up the luggage area before they fill up the seats in the car. But if you're traveling there and you'll need to ride back by yourself and you have no luggage, it's a whole lot easier to stick another body in there than it is to stick you know, two other pieces of luggage and on all this other stuff. So again, this strategy makes a whole lot of sense. Now, if you're parking your own car, well, it's somewhat similar, but yet not. Depends on the port you're you're parking at, of course. You have two options when you're talking about parking at your on your cruise day and embarkation day. You can either park on the on-site parking or the off-site parking. Depending on the port, there's different options and you're gonna have to research your particular port. In my again, most ports have at least an on-site parking facility. In fact, I can't think of one that doesn't, especially in the United States, where essentially there is a parking lot or garage nearby. Bayonne, New Jersey, they've got a they built a brand new parking garage that's literally next door adjacent to the cruise terminal. In Port Everglades, there's a nice parking lot across the street. It's very easy. Tampa's across the street. Port Canaveral has a brand new terminal that they built, a brand new, not only terminal, but also a parking garage that they built, which is adjacent. It's pretty convenient. Uh, Miami is across the street. Not terrible. I would honestly say of all of them, they're probably the longest walk, but we're talking about a five-minute walk instead of a 45-second walk. Um, Actually, in Fort Lauderdale, Port Everglades, if you happen to cruise out of Terminal 18 is the terminal where the large cruise ships go, the Oasis-class ships. But if you're on a different ship that's going out of Terminal, I believe it's 29, basically not Terminal 18, the parking garage is a little bit further away. But there is a complimentary shuttle that brings you back and forth. It's pretty quick in my travels there. I found that it moved pretty – there was plenty of shuttle buses that were available, and it was easy to get back and forth. But again – Dropping everybody off and dropping the kids off and leaving them at the terminal, I think, is the best strategy because there's just less stuff you have to drag back over there. In my my favorite place to park, Terminal 18 in, in Port Everglades, because the parking lot is literally like, you know where you drop off guests? It's across that street. Like, it's so easy to get to, and I, I love the convenience of it. And in general, I park on property for the convenience factor. There was one time we were going to do off property. This was in Port Canaveral a number of years ago. And I researched and found oh, this place is going to save us a lot of money. So we drove up there. You know, we, we came up and we, as we approached the facility, we just saw a large swarm of people waiting to get onto a shuttle. There was no shuttle even there. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, nope, nope, this is not happening. We're, we're just going to go pay a little bit more. So parking at the terminal will cost you more. There's no question about it. Just the way it is. Uh, you know, to me, though, the convenience factor is worth it. Now, again, depending on the port, that you're embarking on, your experiences and your options will vary. Some have more options, some have less options. Some have the parking at the, at the port is a little more important than other ones. Uh, you know, you got to research your port and which one is important. And also what your budget is, right? I mean, in some cases, you know, your budget may dictate it, but it really boils down to uh, parking offsite usually will save you money, but it's longer, it's further away. So it's going to take a little more time to get back and forth. Uh, parking at the facility is a lot more convenient, but it's going to cost you more money depending on how much depends on on where that goes. Uh, almost all the port facilities, at least, usually have a prepay option. I think Port Everglades is the one that doesn't, believe it or not. But the nice thing about having a prepay option is that you just 
when you come back, there's nothing, there's no lines to pay, and it's easy to get off there. And in terms of what time to arrive, how about the way we even talk about what time to arrive at your port? There, there's a lot of uh, competing thoughts on what time makes the most amount of sense. My personal thought is to arrive as early as you can. And yes, I am a cruise geek. I get excited for my cruises, and I want to get there as soon as I can because I can't sleep the night before. But being as objective as I can about this also, the earlier you get there, the the earlier your vacation begins. Also, as the day progresses, you get more and more lines, especially most people, I feel, start to arrive probably around noontime or later. That's the product of flights, people who are flying into the port, people that are driving there. For most people, they don't arrive early. And the advantage of arriving early is not only does your vacation begin earlier, but also you get on board earlier and there are less lines. Now, it's not critical. It's not mission, you know, it's not the most important thing in the world if you don't if you don't arrive there before noon. Personally, I think I was recommended for folks to get there in the eleven o'clock hour. That way, you can essentially beat the crowd. You'll be among the first people to get on board the ship, and you're starting your vacation earlier. And if you're if you were in a hotel anyway, right? If you stayed in a hotel the night before your cruise, well, they're kicking you out of the hotel. So it's not like there's a whole lot of uh, other places. What do you do? Sit at Starbucks? And you know, as well, if you're going to wait somewhere, may as well be in the cruise terminal. And the terminal usually opens in most cases. Uh, to guests who are on embarkation day around 10 o'clock-ish. It can vary 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there. But if you arrive around 10 o'clock, they'll start to process you. You go through security, you'll check in, and then you'll be seated somewhere until the boarding process begins. Personally, I get to the cruise terminal at 10 o'clock hour, and then you know that way when they start boarding, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, of course, we should, before we get to boarding, hang on, we're still talking about arrivals here. Of course, what happens when you actually, you've, you've, return the car, you parked your car, whatever the case may be, you checked your luggage, now you're ready to go in. At this point, you're going to walk into the terminal to check in. Now, in certain terminals, like in Bayonne, uh, New Jersey, uh, they start. They have more of a, um, a streamlined process where, essentially, instead of going to a counter, you have these peer agents who have these tablet devices, and they can scan your, your set sale pass and check you in. But Outside of that, that's kind of the outlier more than anything. In most ports, you're going to find more of a traditional process, almost like an airport, really, where the first thing you're going to do is go to through security, where they're going to scan your bags, look for uh, things you're not supposed to have on there, and then take you, obviously, to the check-in process. In terms of security, keep in mind that you probably want to check with Royal Caribbean's website about the list of prohibited items. A lot of people bring things they're not supposed to bring on the ship, either out of ignorance or they're trying to sneak it in, one of the two. Uh, but you can save yourself a lot of time if you know this ahead of time that, hey, you know, don't pack the the iron to to iron your clothes. Don't pack knives. Don't pack weapons. You know, things that are on the prohibited item list. It's probably a good idea to to take a look at that and and reacclimate yourself with that process. If you bring wine with you, which you are allowed to bring, you're not allowed to bring alcohol like beer or liquor. But if you are, you are allowed to bring up two bottles of wine per stateroom with you, and you want to actually bring it with you. Don't put it in your checked luggage. It'll get flagged by security, and quite honestly, I think more importantly, it may actually break in there, and that'll cause a really big problem for you, so don't do that. Bring it in your carry-on, and when you go through security, they're going to see it, and that's okay. They'll say, hey, you know, you've got something in here, and say, yeah, it's my two bottles of wine that I'm allowed to bring on, and that'll be okay. Again, it's two bottles per stateroom, so if you've got more than one stateroom, as I've encountered this before. You can bring more, you know, obviously bring four then in that case, or in two staterooms, two bottles each, four bottles. And 
at that st- at that point, you could just tell them, "Hey, we've got two rooms. They'll check your set sale pass, and you'll be on your way. No problems at all." But you get through security, and then it's time for check in. Assuming you didn't do check in earlier on with the <laughs> with the roaming agents that I mentioned in Bayonne. Uh, at that point, there's usually a check in desk. There's actually the lines for the check in desk. There's usually two lines. One is the general line, and the other one is for Crown and Anchor Society members. If you're a Crown and Anchor Society member, basically somebody who's cruised on Royal Caribbean before, enrolled yourself in Crown and Anchor Society, you are able to take advantage of these other lines, which typically are shorter. It might not be a bad idea to eyeball it. You know, what's interesting is because I arrive in early, like I said, you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm usually among other really passionate Royal Caribbean fans. And I've actually found in some cases that the Crown and Anchor line is longer than the regular line because the people that usually arrive for the regular line don't show up until later on. But not always the case. And quite honestly, I've been known to go into the Crown and Anchor line specifically just to take advantage of my benefits because I figure, hey, why not? I'm going to get what I deserve even if there's absolutely no benefit to getting that line or not. But at any rate, you'll have two lines to choose from. Your set sale pass will indicate on there which level of Crown and Anchor Society that you you have on there and you're basically the check-in process is pretty simple once you arrive uh there they're gonna ask your id you're gonna be signing some health questionnaires these questionnaires are aimed at trying to figure out if guests are uh you know if if they've been sick recently and if they're a danger to uh perhaps infecting other guests it's important to be honest about it i think you'll probably know before you even get there if you're if you you know you fall into that category it's Indicating that you've been sick in the last couple of days is not going to immediately infer, oh, that's it, and we're not going to get on board the ship. It just may lead to additional questions. And depending on the situation, you may or may not run into an issue there. But, you know, it's look, it's your health. It's other people's health. So answer the question to your best of your ability. At that point, you'll probably be taking photos. Some, and if you did your online check-in on, like, Oasis class ships and Quantum class ships, that you, do, you can take your photos ahead of time. So that way you can save this step. But regardless, you're probably getting your CPASS card at this point. Now, again, if you're on an Oasis or Quantum class ship, you will not. Your CPASSes will be waiting on board the ship, but uh, that's your set sail pass will work with just the same until you get your, your CPASS card, so no worries there. So after you check in, you'll be directed probably to go sit down. If you arrive later on in the morning or in the afternoon, you may actually go straight to embarkation and simple as that. So, you know, depending on when you arrive and what the line is, that can dictate some things. Once you get past the check-in, again, you'll probably be, if you are going to be seated, you're going to be seated in you in a group related to your Crown and Anchor Society. Uh, other cruise lines do like boarding groups, things like that, but Royal doesn't. They do it based on your status. So if you're gold or platinum or diamond, diamond plus, pinnacle suites have their own areas as well. You're going to have separate areas to sit in, and then you, they usually board people in reverse uh Crown and Anchor Society status. So starting with the suites and pinnacle guests, going down Diamond Plus, Diamond, you know, Emerald, Platinum, Gold, right? And then after that, the general public. So that's essentially how it works. It's usually pretty quick. I mean, you know, again, if I told you, if you arrived in 11 o'clock hour, boarding can be, I've seen boarding times begin as early as 10.30, 10.45, as late as like 1 o'clock. The 1 o'clock one was an outlier. That's like when after a, Transatlantic cruise, repositioning cruise, the Coast Guard and Customs do a much more thorough investigation than when it's just a regular cruise. So just keep that in mind. But, you know, generally speaking, you're in the 11 o'clock hour. I would say if it's between 11 and 1130, that's pretty much normal. Now, the embarkation process, as I mentioned, is similar. They call your group. Once you're called, you have to scan your set sail pass or your sea pass cards, and then you essentially start walking until you board the ship, depending on the you know the direction you may or may not run to other guests. One other thing we probably have uh, that depending on the ship, this is going to differ. If you've got kids, 
you're going to have the check-in process for Adventure Ocean. This is not just for Adventure Ocean, but also registering your kids uh, for their muster stations. All children have to get a wristband that indicate which muster station they're on. This is for their safety because, of course, if they are engaged in Adventure Ocean, they're just basically separated from you for whatever reason. Maybe you let them go get pizza at Sorrento's or, or they went to Adventure Ocean. Essentially, the Royal Caribbean staff can direct them and meet you at the muster station in case of an emergency. Usually, this there's a desk, uh, and I've seen the desk in the terminal. I've seen the desk on the way to the ship after you've done your check-in and you've, you're on your way to board. I've seen it on board the ship, and in many cases, you may actually see it in multiple places so that they can cover their bases. Depends on the terminal, depends on the ship, depends on a lot of other things that are out there. But look for that. If you've got kids, you definitely want to take advantage of it. It's really quick. It's simple. They're just going to explain. Uh, this is not like the Adventure Ocean orientation and whatnot. That's later on in the day. This is more about safety, so make sure you, you take advantage of that. But at some point, you're going to get on board the ship, and once you're actually on board, they'll sit, they'll scan your CPAS cards, and then you're on board. I mean, you're really – you can start going to town. You can have lunch. You can walk around. You can explore. Your staterooms, in most cases, are not available until about 1 o'clock p.m., it can vary a little bit here in an hour here, an hour there, but usually it's one o'clock, especially for North American cruises. So you've got some time to explore. And again, what I love about arriving early is, first of all, the ship is a lot less crowded, so that means there's a lot less lines for things like food on embarkation day. Also, you have more opportunity to explore on embarkation day, and that's pretty important. But that's essentially going from curb to ship on a Royal Caribbean cruise, and there's a lot to to consider here when you're talking about. You know, uh, the, the curb ship experience. I mean, we talked about it. We just spent about 20 minutes talking about it. But I'm going to tell you that it's a lot easier than you think. And once you've done it once, it makes it a whole lot simpler because the process is very similar. I think there are some really important things. Here's some takeaways. Looking back on it, the most important things, the bullet point items about going curb to ship. Number one, if you have a if you have your own tr- form of transportation, your own car or you're being driven you, what you want, or you have a rental car, sorry, not driven. Driven is easy because then you're just all getting off. But if you have a rental car or your own car, drop off everybody and your stuff at the terminal, and you or somebody goes back with the car alone to the parking lot or car rental facility to return it, make sure that's a whole lot easier. You'll sit, you'll, you'll really, really appreciate that. Number two, make sure you print out your set sale pass and have with you all your ID. That's the most important thing. If nothing else, remember that. That's like, that's if not, you're really going to run into problems in terms of actually getting on board the ship. Arrival times doesn't really matter. A Royal Caribbean will issue you arrival times when you do your online check-in. Those are suggestions, not requirements. This is a really common question. The Royal Caribbean says I can't get there until one o'clock. What should I do? It's a suggestion. You don't have to. You can show up whenever time you want. There's, they're not enforced, so feel free to show up at eleven o'clock, even if your online check-in told you to arrive at two o'clock. You could. It doesn't matter. Uh, but in general, I like to arrive early. Beat the crowds, start your vacation earlier. You can arrive as early as 10 a.m., but 11 o'clock will do you fine, and that'll give you maybe some time for having breakfast beforehand and some coffee or sleep in a little bit if that's possible. I can never sleep in the day of my cruise, but <laughs> there you go. And number three, when you get to online, when you actually get to the check-in process in the terminal, if you are a Crown and Anchor Society member, look for a special line for Crown and Anchor Society guests that can save you some time there and really, uh, you know. Make your life a lot easier. Plus, it's pretty cool. You know, you deserve your status. You paid money for it. Enjoy it. So there you go. And there's your curb to ship experience in most cases for a Royal Caribbean cruise. All right, it's time to answer your listener questions. This is the part of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast where I dive into the Royal Caribbean Blog inbox and answer the emails that I have received from 
many of our listeners, in fact, I think they're all only listeners. Why would anybody send me an email for a podcast episode if they haven't listened to the episode, right? I guess that logically makes sense. So let me rephrase that. Emails from all of our listeners or only listeners who have sent in questions or comments about their Royal Caribbean cruise, or maybe they wanted to talk about something that they heard on the podcast. Regardless, this is their opportunity and your opportunity as well. In fact, if you have a question or comment or thought, send it to me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean Blog. Com. Our first email this week comes to us from Lauren Wickeritz. My boyfriend and I are going on Oasis of the Seas for the uh, for an upcoming cruise. This is both of our first time on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Do you have any suggestions for us being in our mid-20s of things we must do on Oasis of the Seas? We bought the beverage package, the ultimate dining package, and the wine tasting event. We also booked shore excursions for all of our ports of call. Do you have any information on how to take advantage of this? Any suggestions are appreciated. It's a great question, Lauren. And when you're planning your cruise... I mean, you already did like the most important things, which is pre-planning, going through the cruise planner, buying things that are important to you. You bought the beverage package, a little bit dining package, the wine tasting event. You know, it, it's interesting because on the one hand, you did the right thing in terms of pre-planning, and you're also going to be, you know, hedging budget-wise your bets in terms of you know payments, right? Because you're essentially you're not going to spend any more money on on booze or drinks. You're not going to spend any more money on food, essentially, because you've got the ultimate dining package and even a wine tasting event. I might argue, actually, you might find that there's too much there. I mean, I did the ultimate dining package, and I found there was a lot of food. Now, that's not a bad thing. And there's a ton of great restaurants on Oasis, Lauren. So that's not a ter- it's not a mistake, is what I'm trying to say. But you know, I think you probably knew that, and I think you're going to have a great time. And I think you did the right thing if you're going to eat it, especially dining. Hey, that, that's that's a great idea. In terms of being in your mid twenties, that are things that are must do. Number one, you want to look at the cruise compass. I know I say this a lot, but it really is important. Every evening, you, when you return to your stateroom, you're going to find in your stateroom a cruise compass for the next day. I think it's very important to read it before you go to bed. Now, in some cases, you may be coming to bed a little bit, especially with the ultimate drink package. Maybe you're not exactly stone cold sober. That's okay. It's understandable. But the reason why you want to read it ahead of time is so you know what time you need to wake up the next day. Not just for, you know, obviously what ports if you happen to be docking in, but a lot of times there are activities in the 9 o'clock hour, in the 10 o'clock hour, or even earlier perhaps, that you're interested in doing. And if you sleep into 1130, well, you know, that's time well spent if you ask me because there's nothing wrong with sleeping in, but you may miss out. And a lot of times I have run into situations where if I don't read the cruise compass the night before, there inevitably I miss out on something I wanted to do. I'm like, oh, I wish I knew about that. So avoid that 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 pitfall. Read the cruise compass the night before. So that way not only you are you aware of things in the morning, but also during the day and you can plan out accordingly. So and that, again, will appear uh, in your stateroom the night before. You still have some time to review that when you get back to your room. I think that's really important. There will be some events for people in, in you know, 20-somethings events, but I don't know if that's really your thing, Lauren. Maybe you guys are just going to – I don't know that it's critical to do something like that, but I think you're going to find a lot of events and activities and, um, you know – I mean, on Oasis-class ships, there is no shortage of things to do on board. And that's a good That's a good problem. I like that. I think you're going to find that as well. I mean, it also depends, Lauren, how active you want to be. Maybe your idea of fun is just literally you're waking up in the morning, you know, you get dressed, put on your bathing suit and go out to the pool and that's it. And then you're there until dinner time. For a lot of people, that is a fun day on the cruise ship and that is what they're interested in doing. For other people, it is more of a potpourri. It's waking up, going to the gym, coming back, eating breakfast somewhere, then going to morning trivia, then doing a seminar, then doing the, maybe the, having lunch and having the wine tasting event, then doing towel folding. You know, I, there's so many different things you can do on board. Floor rider, seeing a show on board. I do think it is important to see the shows, at least in the evening, Lauren. Make sure you take advantage of them. There's really good, even ones you might say, Matt, do I really want to go see the ice skating show? I know what you're thinking. Yes, you do. You definitely want to see it. It is a lot of fun. You just got to, you know, 
go in with an open mind. And again, keep in mind that in the, in the case of the entertainment on board, it's pretty much all included. And, you know, that means that you're not really paying any extra for it. So why not? What's the worst that happens, right? Yeah, I can think of worse things to do. So I think it's really just about planning and, and reading the cruise planner and having a good plan of action. But it also depends on you. If you're saying, Lauren, you know, if you're saying to me, uh, Lauren, you know, hey, I just want to go hang out by the pool. There's nothing wrong with that. Enjoy it. Have fun. I mean, you know, maybe go to the floor rider and call it a day. That's not a bad way to spend your day as well. So it's uh, I think you're gonna have a good time. I think that'll be a very fun. And I'm looking forward to hearing your experiences when you return. Next, we have an email from Damian Walker. Hi, Matt. Need some information. Luckily, I have you. Me and my family are going on a nine-night Canada and New England cruise on Anthem of the Season in October. What can I expect? What's the weather going to be like? What are the must-dos? Please give me all the information you have. Include this in your show. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Damian, thank you for the email. Going to Canada and New England. Boy, this is a good question. because You know, this is actually a cruise I haven't been on yet. I haven't done this particular itinerary, but... I figure I've read enough stuff about it to at least give you some some starting points. Nine nights, you're probably going deep into Canada. There's some ones that are a little less so. Uh, but depending on the time of year you're going, and I'm looking over the email again, I don't see it. New England and Canada weather is obviously the, a, a good starting point. And, you know, if you're going in the early fall, weather-wise, there's going to be a big difference between that and late fall. It, it kind of varies, quite honestly, in terms of uh, weather. I think, in general, you're probably... It's it's like Alaska light in terms of weather, because you're going to need layers, but it could still be warm out, especially in early fall, right? In the month of September, and even into October, sometimes it, you, know, you get kind of a, a, a cooler uh, fall there, or a warmer fall than usual, and so you don't run into you know the snow, as an example. Generally speaking, the snows don't really start until October or so. And actually, now that I'm reading your email again, you said October. So, man, if I... Reading comprehension, people. Um, so you're going in October. Cool, so don't worry about September. October, you know, I grew up in, in Connecticut, which is obviously part of New England, although not a stop along the way that you're going to be doing. It can, it can snow in October. It's not very common, quite honestly. I think November is more likely to see it. Uh, but you're probably looking at, you know, layers, whether you're looking at you're going to need jeans and pants, shorts, probably not. But, you know, in the couple days before your cruise day, I mean, you could probably do a look at what the weather's going to be like. But odds are it's going to be jeans. It's going to be pants. It's going to be a couple of T-shirts involved, too, but also some, you know, some sweaters and jackets, essentially. Um, you know, it's comfortable weather. October is actually a beautiful time especially in uh, New England. When you get to Canada, it can vary a little bit more. They get a little cooler there. But, you know, where you're going on, on your on your cruise stops, you know, uh, there's some really fun ports there. And I'm not sure which ports you're going to. I mean, Boston has a ton of history. Love that. I mean, it's a city. You know, you've got tons of things to do there. You know, Bar Harbor, you're close to Acadia National Park. Uh, you've got beautiful... Um, uh, local towns there. Maine is strewn. Every time you go to, regardless of which one you're, you happen to be stopping at, take advantage of the wonderful um, history and the local flavor, essentially. You know, explore these towns. They're really, really nice. Uh, Nova Scotia, Halifax has a lot of maritime history. And with a lot of these towns, whether we're talking about Halifax, whether we're talking about Portland, Maine, you know, Bar Harbor, you have the opportunity to do some natural stuff like as in weather and 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 natural beauty you can go see the, the fall foliage that's really a popular thing we see the, le- the leaves changing you can go into town and just experience local culture maybe you know have a eat at one of the restaurants do a little bit of shopping um it, it, it's kind of up to you i'm not sure you know how much of a must do i mean acadia national park 
is really beautiful and amazing. You probably should go see that. It's almost like it's it's the I don't want to say it's the East Coast equivalent to you know to Yellowstone or anything like that. But when in Rome, I think this is a situation where you need to go there and check that out. It, it's pretty darn cool. Um, so there's some basics. And of course, if anybody here has if listening has some recommendations for what are must dos on a Canada New England cruise, please send me an email matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. We can read it right here on the podcast to help Damien and other folks who are probably wondering the same thing about what are the must-dos for a Canada New England cruise. Of course, you're on Anthem of the Seas. Love Anthem, Damien. Uh, you know, take advantage of what's available on board the ship as well. Do the North Star. Oh, I'm so jealous. Love, 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 love Anthem. Next, we have an email from Amika who writes, Hi, Matt. Hope you're having a great day. We are on a back-to-back on the same ship. When we dock back in Port Canaveral to start the second half of the cruise, will we have to go through muster again? And if we leave our stateroom while whilst embarkation is in progress to go to the Windjammer, will we be able to get back in our room? I know they shut the doors to the staterooms until 1 p.m. How would we get back in? We have the same staterooms for both sailings. We have 30% off, which was the promotion at the time, plus an additional 10% for being Crown Anchor Society member. If I got Royal Caribbean to reprice my holiday, I'm guessing they would reprice it based on the promotion running at the time. But I'm thinking, but am I right in thinking that my Crown and Anchor discount wouldn't be applied? Also, you have 50% off right now in the U.S. We have 30% off plus free Wi-Fi. Would they apply the promotion in my country? So, all good questions. Let's dive right into this. So, back-to-back cruise... Uh, embarkation day. Will you have to go through muster again? I believe you do. All guests have to do it. I know it's kind of, it's like we already did it before. Well, they, you know, it's too hard to track. So yes, assume you're going to have to do that. Now, in terms of your stateroom, one thing you probably want to do is talk to your stateroom attendant before cruise number two and ask them this very question because I, I can see situations varying. In general, keep in mind that the while the the access to this to the hallways to your stateroom are usually close, the, there's that fire door. It can be opened actually, but again, talk to your stateroom attendant on what the process will be because it can vary. I don't want to make sure you get the right information out there. So I want to tell you, well, this guy on the internet told me I could do this. <laughs> it doesn't hold any water, right? Go about it that way. In terms of promotions, when you have a you book a cruise and then you want to reprice, essentially you're right, Amika. When you go to reprice, you're going to get. You're subject to whatever the deal is at the time. Some promotions, like the next cruise promotion, or even like the Crown and Anchor Society balcony discount, will follow you. You can reapply them, assuming they're combinable. And in most cases, they are. Not always, but in most cases, they are. But keep in mind that you know if you booked and you had, they gave you $100 onboard credit on the last promotion, that $100 onboard credit will not be applied unless the current promotion has onboard credit as well. So when you're looking at repricing, you can't just look at the price only. Also look at how much onboard credit you had. If you had gotten a lot, of, a lot of onboard credit with the last sale, it may actually, even though you may be paying more for it compared to the current price, if the onboard credit is is higher than what you're getting, it may end up being a better deal to stay with what you got. But keep that in mind. Again, this is why a travel agent really makes your life so much easier because they can do all this math for you and let you know quickly, hey, you really should reprice. Here's why. Or, or not, hey, this is why you definitely want to reprice. Even though the price went down, you're still better off with what you got. It, it kind of depends on that. But yeah, Amika, uh, you're, you're not wrong there. But again, how, which promotion follows you, which doesn't, subject to the terms and conditions. But in general, things that you booked at the time before will not follow you, you know, spe- specific promotions. The exceptions are things like your know, next cruise onboard credit. Uh, Crown and Anchor Society discounts, stockholder discounts, uh, things of that nature that are can be combined at any given time. But yeah, if they offered you onboard credit before or a different deal before, and you're you're trying to jump on a new deal, it, you're not going to be able to pull in the old deal as well. It doesn't quite work that way. So 
It's a good question, Amika. Thank you for sharing it here. And thank you to everybody for the wonderful uh, episode this week. I had a lot of fun talking to Roller Group with all of you. And, of course, if you have a question, a comment, a thought on your mind, let's talk about it. Send me an email, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. I don't know why I made I sang that first part there. But eh, sometimes you feel like singing, right? <laughs> all right, my friends. Thank you for joining us here. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.